If you're someone that truly wants to be semi-absentee and you think you're just going to hire somebody random off of Indeed or ZipRecruiter, pay them, you know, 60000 a year or whatever the going rate is for a manager in whatever market, and that person just going to run everything for you, I think that that's probably a mistake. I mean, not to say that it maybe hasn't been done, but I'm of the mind that to truly succeed at running a business semi-absentee, you probably got to give some kind of equity away. Welcome to the I Fired My Boss Franchise Podcast. My name is Dan Claps, founder and CEO of Franchise Playbook, a franchisor platform where we create, own, and operate dynamic franchise brands in the mobile services space. And my life's goal is to help people just like you fire their boss and become a business owner. And I'm Christian Dadalak, top franchise consultant and co-founder of Real Franchising, a leading franchise consulting firm. And together, we're on a mission to help people fire their boss, hire themselves, and live the American dream through franchise ownership. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the I Fired My Boss podcast. Tuning in today from uh, first episode being recorded down here in Florida uh, with my co-host Christian, who right now is in California, but you're making a move yourself, right, man? Yes, sir. In a couple of days on uh, Wednesday. So I guess by the day that this gets released this week, I will be in uh, Scottsdale, Arizona. So leaving California, hitting a new adventure in Scottsdale. Really excited for, yeah, a new adventure, man. And I know that you're doing the same thing out in Florida. You're in Miami, right? Yeah, I'm in Brickell. I moved down to here in uh, part of Miami, which is a really cool place. It's New York of the South. That's what they call it. Uh, which I, I clearly see it's all like my buildings all like, you know, everyone's wearing like Yankees, you know, hats and, you know, colleges up from up North, uh, very financial, like part of, of Miami, really cool building moved down here for, uh, for the winter, but who knows may turn into a, a full year thing. Not sure yet. Um, but I'm enjoying it. I just got down here right now. I'm in my like kind of common area. I'm about to sign the lease on some, some office space. Uh, because I'm very particular. That's what I found. You know, I need to be in my my office with no distractions. But um, but yeah, excited to be down here. Uh, excited about the taxes. That's what I'm most excited about. Yeah, <laughs> or the lack of. <laughs> right. Yeah, Arizona still has a state income tax, but it's dramatically less than California. So I'm I'm looking forward to that too, and just a lower cost of living, but also just a. It's a, again, like I said, a kind of new adventure. So I'm I'm really looking forward to to the move, but. Those of you that are maybe watching the YouTube channel, that's why my camera's not on right now because my place is littered with moving boxes and it looks pretty chaotic right now. So um, no camera today, but next time we will. And Happy New Year, everyone, by the way. First episode of uh, 2024 as well. And uh, yeah, excited to kick off a new year. I mean, it's crazy because we've been doing the podcast now for over two years. And uh, it's pretty amazing to see how things have grown. Yeah, Absolutely. You know, it's interesting just to kind of like for listeners that are listening to this around like owning a business, obviously most of our listener base, I'm going to break this down for for a moment. So, you know, there's a point in your career as an entrepreneur, if you get to a certain stage where decisions around your lifestyle and your business start to become kind of unanimous, right? Like I I really do believe I, you know, there's that saying, there's no work-life balance, it's work-life harmony, right? And so for me as a steward of, of Voda, as, as the CEO of the company, as the person that is, you know, leading the company, uh, a lot of my decisions center around 
Voda, and, and that's you know, and they affect my life. Um, and so what's interesting is like if you're listening, you don't know us. I, I lived in New York City for many years. Um, I you know, and decided to 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 move down to Florida to try it. I might move back, but I'm pretty sure I won't. And it's funny uh, what I explain to people is you know the the amount you save in taxes, income taxes um, in the state of New York are nine percent. Uh, city tax is four percent, so thirteen percent. That was right, right? Yeah, that's right now. 13% um, in taxes just to live in that state and then in that city, right? Nine and, th- and 4%. And what's interesting is I looked at myself and I realized none of my business was happening in New York, right? None of my contacts, nothing really. And so much of my business was happening in Florida, obviously in restoration. In franchising, there's a lot of Floridians as well. And most importantly, those, those taxes... So when I first brought the idea up to my my family, they said, "Well, like, how does that work? You know, are you sure you can?" They said, "Like, get away with that, you know, like you know, like the people that go back and forth, right, yeah. between New York and, and when I explained, I said, no, there's no getting away. This is what I'm doing. I'm moving there. I'm going to follow the rules. Like, whatever they say, I have to do. If I have to live here for seven months, then I'll live here for seven months, right? And I'm, I'm, you know, becoming a resident. But what's interesting is, as a you know, steward of the capital at at Voda, I had this realization that. For example, if in 2024, uh, the business were to have had, I'm going to make a number up. This is uh, nothing to do with our business. I'm just using round numbers. If the business had 100,000 in EBITDA, right? Whether I took that cash out or kept it in the business, I don't, the taxes have to do not where the company is incorporated, like we're in Delaware. No, it's, it's actually where you live, right? So for me as the principal owner, my taxes would be $13,000 additional to the government or if I lived in Florida, it'd be not those thirteen thousand. If the business had a million dollars in EBITDA, that's one hundred and thirty thousand dollars, right? That has to go out, whether I take the money out of the business or not. And in this case, we're keeping so much money in Voda, right, to grow it properly. And so I didn't like the idea that if we had again, I'm using a round number, a million dollars in profit, that one hundred thirty thousand dollars would have to go right to the taxes. Instead, we could hire someone, right? bring them in, support the business more. And, you know, so it was, it was part of the strategy of moving down here. But I just thought it was an interesting thing because it, it takes some time for people to understand when you own a business, it's not where people say, oh, why don't you incorporate in, in, in Delaware or in Florida? That doesn't matter. It's where you live is where the taxes are paid. Yeah, which is, which is important. And I think at the end of the day, regardless of what type of business you're in, but when you are a business owner, whether you're a franchisee, a franchisor, a vendor who works and serves the franchise community, you're a steward of your business and you have to do the right thing for your business, for your team, for your employees, for your franchisees, if you're a franchisor. And so I, I think it's, it's, it's awesome to see, um, you know, just you need to be thinking about those things. And it's great to, to see you guys and you specifically thinking about that, Dan, and just making sure that you can do what's right by by Voda, your team and everything else and franchise playbook and all of that. So I think that's, I think that's awesome. Man. And I think that's a lot of the same reason why I'm moving to Scottsdale is just the franchise friendliness of, and I'm sure that was the same case for you as well. I mean, the franchise friendliness of a California, New York, um, you know, many pros and cons to both of the, both of those places. And I still plan to, you know, head back and visit California a lot because I have a lot of friends there, but. At the end of the day, I, I want to be somewhere. I want to be in a state that really is more franchise friendly. And so many amazing franchise opportunities are just not in California or 
they won't be, or if they do, they'll come later on in their stage of development. And so it's, it's nice to be in a state. It's nice to soon be in a state where, um, the franchise friendliness is a little bit, uh, a little bit better because it's always cool to visit Scottsdale. And I'm like, Oh man, I see all these franchises that I know about that I would just never see in, uh, in California because they're not registered. And so for those that don't know, there's 13 registration states and franchising, just extra disclosures and whatnot that uh, franchisors have to go through in order to offer franchises for sale in those states. And so it could kind of be a pain in the butt for, uh, for a franchisor, especially one that's a little bit more emerging and. But sometimes those really those emerging concepts like a voda are are really awesome to tap into, and then then you have the extra regulation in California, for example, of um, you know re- requiring a general contractor's license and the requirements to get that are just much much more difficult. And so for a lot of home services brands, California makes it difficult also. So anyway, ramble over, but no, I think it makes sense. Yeah, and just just to wrap that up, you know, like ju- just for clarity, like. You know, well, on the taxes point, just for clarity, like, you know, I, I'm a firm believer. Obviously, we pay taxes as, as you know, contributors to the society. But as a business owner, if you can find legal and ethical ways for taxes to be mitigated, that's completely your, your you know, prerogative, right? And, and for me, you know, living in a state where there was less tax just made a lot of sense. But what was interesting to me, too, to your point was the franchise friendliness. You know, um, I wanted to be in a state in New York is a very tough state with regulations and it, it just makes it tough. I want to be in a state where I could, I could really grow a large franchisee base around me. Right. So for example, in New Jersey, I'm building a, a, a substantial, we're building a substantial New Jersey franchise base. We've got you know some really great franchise owners in, in, in Northern and central New Jersey. And I really enjoy that, right. Kind of my home state where I'm from, my hometown was just recently awarded and I really enjoy building that kind of local chapter. And I can go up to New Jersey anytime. My dad's there. I'm, I'm visiting all the time. Uh, as you know, I'm on an airplane all the time anyway. But, you know, being able to go and, and build a, a franchisee base here in the state of Florida really, really excites me. But, um, well, let, let's talk about this because I think it, it, it lends really well into the, the, the topic in this conversation, which is about running a business semi-absentee, perhaps running a business remote if you're, you're someone that is picking up their their roots. But, you know, Christian, in your business, you're able to work, you know, anywhere. Um, so you're able to move and 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 not have any issues. And I'm fortunate to be in a similar position, which is, you know, one of the benefits of of technology and what happened after COVID. Um, but I guess I'll start by asking you you a question. You're talking to lots of franchise candidates every day. Um, what is your biggest opinion on? how to run a business semi-absentee or what to look for in a franchise to show that it can be semi-absentee or manage the manager. Yeah. It's, I think it's, I think that there are certain types of franchises that might lend themselves a little bit more easily to uh, being semi-absentee or starting semi-absentee. But I think any business can be run semi-absentee if it's just done the right way and you have the right, um, structure, you have the right teammates, the right partners. I mean, if you're someone that truly wants to be semi-absentee and you think you're just going to hire somebody random off of Indeed or ZipRecruiter, pay them, you know, 60,000 a year or whatever the going rate is for a manager in whatever market. And that person's just going to run everything for you. I think that that's probably a mistake. I mean, not to say that it maybe hasn't been done, but I'm of the mind that to truly succeed at Running a business semi-absentee, you probably got to give some kind of equity away. Like you're really 
more than anything, looking for an operating partner to some extent. And I think the best way to do that is to go through your own personal network and ask people that you respect, other business owners, and, and try to get introduced to people or, or maybe people you already have in mind that you could, you could work with that you trust that they have the right skill. They have the time. They have the, um, you know, the right skill for that kind of business, you know, for, you know, if it's a sales oriented type franchise and the main skill to really drive that business forward. And I think for most businesses, you, you do have to be the type of person that is going to be a constant promoter of your business, but, some businesses, if, if it requires you to go out there and uh, prospect and introduce yourself to other businesses, if it's like a business-to-business model and you know be out there networking and beating the streets to some extent, then you've got to have a partner that is able to do that. And I think that then it gets down to compensation. And we can you know talk a whole lot about that, I'm sure. But I think you need to have somebody that, again, has the right skills. They have the time to run the day-to-day operations. Somebody that you trust again. They they're a person of character and integrity. They've proven that in the past. And ideally, someone that you know or, or you've met through your own personal network, I think. Um, and then you just gotta compensate them the right way. And I think that have giving them some kind of equity or phantom equity where they can, if they stay for certain amounts of time, then they can earn an equity. And um, but that way they're they're more of a true partner and, and you almost give them golden handcuffs where they don't want to leave. And because they got something so good here, maybe you pay them above market rate for base salary, maybe give them some profit sharing in the meantime as well, good benefits. But I think you really need to to compensate them well to get someone that's going to stay. And I think give them some equity too. And Ryan Zink, um, you know, founder of Franchise Sidekick, his perspective is, even if I'm going to do that, if I'm going to have someone that's going to be my operating partner, I want them to um, pay in. I want them to pay into the business so they have some skin in the game. And so, um, and I'm sure there's other people that have done it where they haven't required that. And maybe they just say, hey, you can earn an equity over time. But Ryan is a big proponent of saying, look, if, you, if you're going to get equity, then I, yeah, I want you to at least put some money in the business so you have some skin in the game because that's how you're going to have someone that is invested in the business that's not going to leave and, and bail on you. Employee, We'll quit. Employees quit, but a business a business partner is is in it for the ride with you. Not to say that things don't happen, obviously, but but they're they're going to take ownership of the business, and that's what you're looking for. If you want to be a semi absentee owner, you need to take ownership, and you also need to have someone else who's going to be your operating partner, your general manager. That person needs to to be in a position where they can take ownership as well. So that's that's my quick take on how to properly do it. If you'd like our help investing in a franchise at no cost to you, head over to ifiredmybosspodcast.com and fill out the form to schedule a free consultation. I think that, you know, uh, when when hiring people, you should hire people. One, I, I call it the normal test. Like I look for people that have similar, um, to some degree, like at least on the leadership team, I look for people that I feel have similar values to me or, or maybe even like upbringings, right? Like, you know, they were like, there's this, there's, there's different ways to live life. And I'm not saying there's any right or wrong way. Right. But I come from a, uh, and, and hopefully this doesn't come across the wrong way, but I come from like a very traditional kind of, kind of family, right? Like I had like a, a very strong family unit. Um, I grew up a certain way. I was taught 
you know, a certain way of living. And as I get older, I learn there's, there's many ways you can live, right? You can, you can live many different lifestyles and I'm not putting down any type of lifestyle, but I look for people who kind of crave a similar structure. They want to be consistent. They want to work consistently, right? They want to work enough, you know, certain hours and, um, you know, they value family, right? Or they value, you know, maybe not necessarily family as in like children, if, if that's not the case, but like they value relationships, they value people, um, you know, someone that I can see, you know, I'll give you an example. I look for people um, that I find have had a friend for 20 years or more. Mm. I know it's a funny thing, but I'll look for those types of things. Like if you can have a friend or you're married for that long or a friend or some example of loyalty, um, it, you know, because that's at one point in 20 years, you both had to show loyalty in that relationship, whatever the relationship is, right? I look for that. And you had to have had some conflicts, right? So, you know, you, you use Ryan Zink of this example. Anytime I talk to someone that works with you guys, it's like, oh, I knew Ryan in college and this and that. And there's, and there's <laughs> this, this track record of long, consistent relationships, right? And I feel, thankfully, I, I feel like I have a similar uh, type, of, type of background with, with, with people in my life. So I look for people that show these examples of where they've committed uh, to other people or things, right? So that that's one thing. I, in my opinion, that's where the college degree really became a thing, right? It showed a college degree showed shows that you had an ability to commit to something for four or five, you know, five years uh, with a delayed gratification and stick to it, right? There's other ways to show that. Um, and so I look for examples of that. And if it's not with people, then it was, you know, I owned a business for five years and then I sold it, or I, you know, that that's number one. Um, I also think with with building a, a startup business, whether it's a, a regular business or a franchise, you know, um, I love hiring current or previous business owners. Almost everyone on my team, for example, has owned a business in the past um, or does currently, and that makes a huge difference in the way you think around, you know, uh, being very compassionate around understanding what it's like to own a business. So I think teammates that work in that type of environment. Uh, is important. Um, while you have to have guardrails or like buffers, you give people kind of uh, a, a zone to work in. And, you know, here's my expectations. Don't go outside these boundaries. Outside of that, do what, you know, thing. I think it's important. So I guess to sum all this up, I think the best leaders understand that they're just giving their team uh, a platform to work within. You know what I mean? Um, mm, makes total sense. Like like today, I dialed into a unit economics call with you know prospective franchise owners, and I saw that you know we had seven or eight people on that call. Um, one of our franchise development directors, Chloe Bennett, she's doing a great job. I think you know four or five of them were from her, which was great. Steve, our VP of, of development, was overseeing that, and I just jumped in to say hello, and I saw a well-oiled machine working. Right, I gave Steve a platform. And Steve gave Chloe a platform. We're giving those prospective owners when they become franchise owners, we're giving them a platform to own their own business. Um, I, I've, you know, we've given our VP of operations, Arthur Sturgis, the ability to a platform to run our restoration business, right? Alongside, you know, our COO, Zach and co-founder, you know, and, and we've given our, our founder dragon who's involved in the business, a platform to do what he loves, which is training people. Um, and so sorry for the long windedness, but I think the key is, giving your team a platform. So to your point, if you're going to have a business that's semi-absentee, it doesn't matter if it's a, a Voda or a Horsepower Brands or a, another different brand. It doesn't, it's not about like those businesses are all great. It, it's going to come down to who you bring in as your general manager 
to run that business. I don't care if that's a gym or a home service business or a tanning salon. Um, you need to have a great GM running it, a great operating partner, if you will. And that's going to run true in any business. And so I, I think it, it really comes down to the leader um, recruiting great people. And then to your point, giving them equity. Uh, we're not giving them equity, uh, providing them a platform to earn equity that they can then have and, and, and work with. I love that. You said a few things there I thought were just freaking spot on. Um, I think that's, that's a really important thing to look at in terms of people that have a history of some kind of stick to where they, they have those long-term relationships. Because I know people that it seems like their friend group is constantly changing and shifting and turning over. Their best friend today is not the same as their best friend yesterday. And so it's, they're always a new group of friends because they can't really keep relationships because they can't build relationships. They don't know how to maintain loyalty or eventually, you know, there's like the honeymoon phase, even in a, you know, in a romantic relationship, but also in a friendship where things are amazing at first, but then, you know, some rocky things happen and, you know, just like they all, they always do in any human relationship. But do you have the, the ability, the skills, the, the, the desire to work things out and, and to make a relationship work? Because again, whether it's a romantic relationship, it's a professional relationship, any kind of relationship, they all require work. They require, uh, communication. They require a little bit of give and take. And I think that looking for people that have a history of that and they're not constantly changing over friend groups or bouncing from thing to thing over and over again. I mean, I know a ton of people where it seems like today they're, you know, they're in one industry, like maybe they're in, uh, you know, insurance and then they're in real estate and then they're in this or that. And they don't have the ability to really stick with something uh, long term. And that's where I think, like you mentioned, colleges is very helpful in that regard. And in terms of nothing other than just showing Hey, I can commit to something long-term, delay gratification, and keep a long, long-term focus. So I love that. I love the idea. And I should have said this first. I'm kind of embarrassed I didn't, but leading with values and hiring people based on values. I mean, yeah, skill set is important, especially if d- depending on the nature of the business and that sort of thing, and having some prior knowledge and industry experience, all good stuff. But if I could only have one thing, I think I would rather have someone that buys into the the vision of the company, but has the right values as well. Um, and that's going to fit into the company culture more than anything. And then you can hire, train, or develop a lot of the skill. Um, not And again, not to say that you don't want to have that up front, that certain positions do require that, obviously. But you have to make sure you have the right people in the right seats. But, but if I only had to pick one, if I was only able to pick one, I would choose someone that has values, um, that that mirror mine and the rest of the people at at my company and with what we're trying to build and what the long-term vision is. And so I think that's important. And the last thing I'll say about being a semi-absentee owner and doing it successfully is, um, and I think a lot of people, I mean, the most successful people that I know that have truly run businesses, semi-absentee, where I know that they have franchises that aren't even in the same state that they live in. But the reason they're able to do that is because they have the infrastructure, they have the general managers in place, the right people, and they and they let those people do their jobs. They don't micromanage them. They're not breathing down their neck. Like you said, Dan, they provide guardrails. They say, here is what you can do. Here's what you can't do. Any decision that is going to potentially cost us over a certain dollar amount, 
um, ask me about, get clearance for me. Let's discuss that together. Anything under this certain dollar amount, that's all you all day long. You don't need my approval. Just go ahead and make the decision. And so you have to empower your people to be able to make decisions. And as long as they know, here are the, here are the guidelines. Here is the main things to consider. And then here's when you bring me in and those sorts of things. But otherwise, I'm going to let you run this thing. I think that's how you do it too. I think people that breathe down the neck of their people and don't allow their, their people to do a good job or to do their job at all because they're constantly worried about messing up or making a mistake or those types of things, then, then I think that's where semi-absentee ownership starts um, not working as, as well as maybe you would have intended. So I think you have to, you have to know, like, are you the type of person that has skills delegating to a team? Are you comfortable with that? Or are you the person that really needs, feels the need to hang on to every single piece of the process and you can't let go? And not to say you can't learn how to let go a little bit more, but, but it is, it is nice. And this is what I talked to my candidates about is like, Hey, do you have a track record of being able to successfully delegate, build teams, lead teams? And if you do, then I think absolutely you can run it semi absentee. And not to say that someone else can't, but maybe they want to start out, start out more as an owner operator. And then as they develop those delegation skills, then maybe transition into semi-absentee overtime. Yeah. I mean, the only other thing I would, I would add to this would be, um, I, I truly believe, and again, I, I think it's, it's even more so at the leadership level, but in any business, I think you got to hire your, your you got to, oh, there's this saying, don't do business with your friends. You ever heard that saying? I have heard that. I don't agree with that saying. So I don't, I don't like doing business with my friends, meaning we have a friendship that's built on friendship and then we get into business. That doesn't work in my opinion, usually. When hiring people, I think when your relationship is built in work, like the Navy SEALs, right? They become friends through being a SEAL, right? Football teams in college and whatever. You, you become friends through your, your shared common interest of football, winning the game, right? Playing together. Um, I think in business, when you can build a team where you actually are friends, but it's the foundation of the bit of the friendship is in the common goal of the business, right? But you become actual friends. I think that's extremely important. So for me, like, especially being younger, like this used to be like younger, uh, uh, kind of in my stage of career. This used to be something I overthought, which was like, I have to be the CEO. I have to be extremely buttoned up. And I found that that doesn't really need to be the case. I obviously need to be a professional, right? And um, there's different moments of the day or seasons of my job that are, you know, require different types of, of personalities. But what I found is having actual real friendships with my team um, is, is so important. Like I would consider the, the leadership team at, at Voda and Playbook like, actual friends, real friends. We have real relationships. And and I'm even at the point where as hard as it would be, um, you know, to a degree, you love each other, right? So as hard as it would be, if I ever had a teammate that, you know, like there's their next role, like I care about them more than than their role with me. Does that make sense? Like there's this saying, people are the your biggest, the company's biggest asset, but they're not like, this is my saying, people are company's biggest asset, but they're not your asset. Right. Mm. And I've been in that situation where right. I was a asset to a company and the leader of that company thought of me as their asset. Like I am there. That, that's not how it works. People are not yours, right? You don't collect people. <laughs> you know, if you give <laughs> right. them a platform where they can work and they're happy, they'll stay with you. But you can't look at it. It's like any other relationship, right? If you were, I don't know, uh, if you love them, let them go, right? If, if someone was 
not a fit for you. You have to let them go sometimes. And so having this genuine care for your team beyond your business, I think is huge. But unfortunately, I don't think that's something that's learned. I think that's either you, uh, either you're a transactional relationship person or you're not. So, and, and, and that's why when we're looking for, for business owners, like franchise owners, we're looking for people that kind of have that specific, I don't want to call it a soft skill. It's not really a soft skill. It's a value, right? It's a value of putting people before yourself. You got to want other people to win. Of course. Yeah, if it's all just about you and your success, and like you said, you view people as being expendable or your asset versus, um, you know, they are an asset, but they're not your asset. Um, and different people will be with you for different periods of time. And if you say, hey, if it's time to part ways, then you say, hey, really appreciate what you've done up until this point. I wish you nothing but the best of luck. And, you know, we're sad to see you go, but. We're looking forward to seeing what else you, you do. But I think at the end of the day, like you mentioned, if you have that friendship that undergirds everything, then, then that's, then that's how you build a strong company culture. And that truly at the end of the day is if you want a business that can be run semi absentee, you have to build an amazing culture where everyone feels welcomed, everyone feels valued and you empower people and delegate things the right way. So I think that's good stuff, man. I think this is a great, great topic. Last, I'm going to rattle off a few granular things around the semi-absentee idea. A couple of things. Number, number one, you know, you want a semi-absentee business, you need a few things. You need one, a systematized way of getting customers that doesn't rely on you, right? Yes. So for example, advertising's working. In home services, I think no matter what, you need local selling. So if it's not you, you need a salesperson. So you know, it's funny, people will talk to me about Voda or they'll look at another home service brand and say, well, you know, this one doesn't need a salesperson. They all need a salesperson. There's no special way to sell windows or roofing or painting or restoration different than another. Home services and all businesses have the same org charts. You need sales, you need marketing, you need ops, you need finance, and you need legal. They're literally the same. Fine sales, marketing, which is like kind of one, two buckets to the side. Ops, right? Within ops, you've got HR, you've got customer success, you've got, you know, things onboarding, right? And then you've got finance, money in and out, and you've got legal. Like those buckets apply to every business, right? And then there's the technology element, um, you know, and, and then you can go granular off that. But like every business requires that. And so when I talk to people, it's like, you need sales, marketing, ops, legal, finance. Let's, let's bring it down for a second. In our, in our model, just for example, Let's start on the right. You have finance, money in and out, right? We outsource that through, we do your bookkeeping. So you don't have to worry about that. And that's kind of that hat is worn by the franchisor to help you, right? Then you have ops where there's so many things that franchisors take on operationally to take that bucket off your plate. But really ops, you need a general manager, right? Then you've got marketing, which in our case, it's outsourced to the, to the marketing department. Um, most good franchisors, that's the case too. So the lead gen and the marketing is off your plate. Um, you know, you need something to answer the phones. You need a call center around that sales bucket. And then, you know, a lot of business owners take the role of sales themselves, right? You choose one thing, but if they can't, then they need a salesperson. There's no business that doesn't run without a salesperson in some way. It just, it doesn't exist. I don't care if it's a tanning salon that's, you know, in, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a shopping center, there needs to be somebody out there building relationships in the community. Like 
99.9% of the time. And so to me, like you need an automated lead gen system. You need a salesperson, unless you're going to do that yourself. You need a general manager. You need finance. Legal, I think, is not giant because you know it's all set up by the franchisor. Um, and then really, if you want a semi-absentee business, you need a business that is somewhat consistent, right? Like I'm thinking about like businesses that you could that are going changing every year. I don't know how you predict how many people you hire when a business can go up and down every year. You want to be in a business that has consistent, you know, revenues to a degree. I think that makes a ton of sense. Like, yeah, I'm surprised we didn't uh, dive into that a little bit more because, yeah, I mean, so many, so much of really being able to run a business semi-absentee, at least in the franchise space, comes down to the support that the franchise provides. A call center is huge. I know that there are franchises out there that will handle your bookkeeping for you and help with payroll and they have you know, business intelligence software and KPI dashboards so that all your key performance metrics, you can measure the health of your business and view the health of your business tangibly by looking at the numbers and having it all at a quick glance and, um, and having that lead generation support and coaching and, uh, you know, there's help with licensing or this and that. I mean, having a lot of that on, not just initial setup support, but ongoing support. And I know you guys provide a lot of that at Voda. Um, is is huge and because because otherwise if you don't have the franchise or providing a lot of that support and help then that is stuff that you or or your business has to take care of directly and that puts more work on either your plate if you're going to be more of an owner operator but if you are semi-absentee then that's work that your team needs to be taking on um so i think yeah having having that infrastructure and having truly amazing support by the right kind of uh franchise. So it's like, yeah, you got to have the right people, but ha- having that additional support and all the different support verticals that a lot of the great franchises out there provide, I mean, that that also is insanely important to truly be able to run a business semi-absentee. Absolutely. Well, if you're enjoying this episode of the I Fire My Boss podcast, thanks for for listening. We'll be coming out with more and more episodes here in, uh, in 2024. Happy New Year and, and thanks again. We're, uh, we'll see you on the next one. Take care, guys. You're f***ing fired. If you want to say those words to your boss, make sure you head on over to ifiredmybosspodcast.com and fill out the form to schedule a no-cost consultation. And if you enjoyed this episode, make sure to subscribe, leave a review, and share with a friend who might also want to fire their boss.